And now, business games. Hello and welcome to Business Games. Glad to see you here. You are a leader and a decision maker. Livelihoods depend on the outcome of your decisions. Maybe just your livelihood. Maybe that of others. You don't like uncertainty. Hell, nobody does. Or maybe risk-taking is in your nature and you love uncertainty. Except you see it as an opportunity. In either case, you want to become better at navigating uncertainty and using it to your advantage. So you want to learn. This is the Intro to Business Games, an educational podcast and newsletter series where we utilize game theory in business to help you make better decisions under uncertainty. So what is this thing you're listening to? In this episode, I cover the business game's concept, the target audience, the general structure, and what you would get out of it. Ready? Let's go. The target audience. Who is this for? Who is the hero of this journey? In short, it's for anyone who wants to learn to make better decisions under uncertainty. That's it. Does this sound like you? Then come along and join the journey. Now if pressed further, here are some, I repeat some, elements of a person who I think would benefit the most. And look, I'm humble enough and open-minded enough to know that whatever I think is not important. Because there could be many others who do not fit this profile, but would nonetheless love to read up on or listen to this topic. As a side mini-rant, I don't know why we've gotten so obsessed with the target audience idea. After all, who was the target audience of, for War and Peace? Lord of the Rings? The Bible? Harry Potter? Hamlet? Or Faust? How about Beethoven's Fifth? I don't know, moves like Jagger? Gangster's Paradise? The target audience for these is whoever likes these. It's as simple as that. So anyway, some characteristics. 1. You are making decisions of consequence. These could be in business with others, either as an owner or a manager, could be in self-employment, in your family, say, with money, spending, investing, saving, earning, whatever. Two, you are humble and curious and open-minded. In my mind, these are prerequisites to learning, but I'm willing to be persuaded otherwise. Three, you are dealing with uncertainty of some kind, and, well, who isn't? Four, you are interacting with others. The whole premise behind game theory is that it's a study of interactive rather than individual decision-making. Five, you want to train your decision-making muscles for whatever reason, be it wanting to gain an edge on the competition, to prepare better strategy, or just because you like learning. Six, maybe you're an executive, an MBA student, an owner-operator, an entrepreneur, or wanting to save the environment, or wanting to save for the retirement. I'm using the business strategic and performance sports slash business concepts for most of the examples, but these generalize to other settings. At least that's the idea. Now, there's a lot of free content that I will produce, and even the premium version price point is designed to be low enough to be accessible to many and to provide value. In other words, the hero could be anybody. If you choose to go on this journey, then you shall be the hero. Three, the genesis, a prologue of a kind. Let me start with a story behind the concept to understand what this is. In other words, let me start with the usual founder BS, the foundation story. Well, in one of the upcoming episodes, my guest and I actually talk about founder BS and how these stories never really reflect the actual message journey. So let me do it proper justice, knowing full well that you'll call me on my BS if I slip into it. Ready? 
very briefly. I did my PhD with the goal of becoming an academic. I liked both the research and teaching. Halfway through, I thought the world had enough academic economists and maybe there's more value in applying what I'd learned and researched to the real-world problems. Also, I was lucky to have co-authored research with McKinsey consultants doing their PhDs. So I learned about strategic consulting. After about a decade in business, however, I started realizing that there are some important topics that lend themselves more to research than to consulting. There's one we're involved in right now, having gotten a grant from a non-government fund to research future of work skills acquisition. A topic of tremendous public value, yet something that would not work as a paid consulting project due to positive externalities slash public good aspects. Anyway, I started seeing valuable questions in the real world that could benefit from applied research. That's part of the Genesis story. Here's another. A few years ago, a client asked me to train a team of mid-management in their finance and pricing department on the basics of statistics and game theory. Collaborating with one of the top New Zealand universities, we'd put together an outline of a hands-on course that would have leveraged their data and their, that is, the client's, internal questions. We'd worked through this to both teach the skills and get the valuable answers. And also give the participants a certificate of completion from the mentioned university. This was sort of a moving on from your typical 80% consulting plus 20% coaching projects to 40% consulting plus 60% training idea. By the time the university and I managed to organize this, the client had restructured, the manager in question moved to head another department, and this never had gone through. But the structure and the idea remained. The third piece of the puzzle. About two years ago, I was invited to serve on a board for a non-profit. Turned out that I didn't, at the time, know much about governance. So I joined the New Zealand Institute of Directors and consumed almost all of their courses. Then I went on to a bit of a professional development spree and started consuming courses both in person and online, including but not limited to MBA level brand management course with Mark Ritson at Melbourne Business School, climate change, financial risks and opportunities course from the online version of Imperial College London Business School, the marketing seminar with Seth Godin, and others. I briefly considered an executive MBA, but went the route of the company director's course plus chartered assessment with the New Zealand Institute of Directors, supplemented with other things instead. This spree resulted in the following insight. While some of the training options were great, I ride or die with Mark Ritson's brand management and I enjoyed the IOD charted assessment track, for example. Some others were utter shite. I will not name names. The shit ones shan't be referenced here. Then there's also the stuff in between. Another related insight was that for all the talk about the importance of strategy, strategy offerings that I was able to find were by and large deficient. And something that seemed missing altogether at a good level was any training of strategic thinking. This seemed like a gap in the market, but is there a market in that gap? Ah, well, that's the question. That is exactly the question we pose by setting up this very podcast series, Business Games. What's in a name? Business Games Decoded. I start with a longish preamble. There is a good payoff at the end, I promise. This from Wikipedia. Open quotes. John von Neumann was a Hungarian-American mathematician, physicist, computer scientist, engineer, and polymath. Von Neumann was generally regarded as the foremost mathematician of his time and said to be, quote, the last representative of the great mathematicians, end quote. He integrated pure and applied scientists, sciences. 
von Neumann made major contributions to many fields, including mathematics, in brackets, foundation of mathematics, functional analysis, ergodic theory, group theory, representation theory, operator algebras, geometry, topology, and numerical analysis. End bracket. Physics, open bracket, quantum mechanics, hydrodynamics, and quantum statistical mechanics, end bracket. Blah, 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 lots of other stuff. Then computing, open brackets, von Neumann architecture, linear programming, self-replicating machines, stochastic computing, close brackets, and statistics. He was a pioneer of the application of operator theory of quantum mechanics in the development of functional analysis, and a key figure in the development of the concepts of cellular automata, the universal constructor and the digital computer. Von Neumann published over 150 papers in his life, about 16 pure mathematics, 16 applied mathematics, 20 in physics, and the remainder in special mathematical subjects or non-mathematical ones. His last book, An Unfinished Manuscript Written While He Was in the Hospital, was later published in book form as The Computer and the Brain. His analysis of the structure of self-replication preceded the discovery of the structure of DNA. In a short list of facts about his life, he submitted to the National Academy of Sciences, he wrote, The part of my work I consider most essential is that on quantum mechanics, which developed in Göttingen in 1926, and subsequently in Berlin in 1927-1929. Also, my work in various forms of operator theory, Berlin 1930 and Princeton 1935 through 1939, on the ergodic theorem in Princeton 1931 through 1932. During World War II, von Neumann worked on the Manhattan Project with theoretical physicist Edward Teller, mathematician Stanislav Ulam, and others. Problem-solving key steps in the nuclear physics involved in thermonuclear reactions and the hydrogen bomb. He developed the mathematical models behind the explosive lenses used in the implosion-type nuclear weapon and coined the term kiloton as the measure of the explosive force generated. After the war, he served on the General Advisory Committee of the United States Atomic Energy Commission and consulted for organizations including the United States Air Force, the Army's Ballistic Research Laboratory, the Armed Forces Special Weapons Project, and the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Could be Livermore, I don't know. As a Hungarian emigre, concerned that the Soviets would achieve nuclear superiority, he designed and promoted the policy of mutually assured destruction to limit the arms race. That's the end quote of Wikipedia. Oh yeah, he also, basically as a hobby, invented a field of game theory and literally rewrote the book on mathematical economics. The letter came after he corrected mathematical errors in the existing book. The game theory happened when he was commenting on a paper by Oscar Morgenstern, where apparently after a couple of revisions, this became a co-authored paper and then a book called Theory of Games and Economic Behavior. Only one of the most influential economics books of all time. That is not a hyperbole. So the payoff was to say that this genius mathematician physicist, computer scientist, and the pre-inventor of DNA, just as a hobby, created one of the most influential subfields of economics. There you go. So what is game theory? And why game theory? Okay, so I'm going to do uh, my own little spiel about what it is and why do I care. A non-technical answer is that it's a framework for analyzing any interaction of several players where interaction can be simultaneous or repeated, could be even infinite. The player's actions affect not only the payoffs of themselves and those of other players, but also the available actions of other players. And also, there is uncertainty. 
and a whole bunch of other things like behavioral or evolutionary considerations. Basically, it's a powerful and flexible framework which one can use to analyze interactions, test hypotheses, and upon which one can build using newest knowledge, even that from other disciplines. And it is the primary tool for analyzing strategic interactions. Now, economist means something different to what business people mean when they say strategy, yet something that I personally find central to business strategic discourse. Namely, for economists, strategic means exactly the type of behavior I described above, where one action of one player has an impact on both the payoffs and available actions of other players. What is not strategic decisions, then, you ask? Well, these would be individual decisions, where you are only playing against nature or against a faceless market. How does this work? The best I can come up with is if you're producing a commodity like coffee beans of a particular sort, say Arabica, a ton of Arabica is a ton of Arabica and the global supply and demand sets the price and you cannot influence it at all. So your only decision is how much do I produce at this price? Okay, you're completely right. These types of situations are abstract constructs to help understand the concepts rather than describe reality. And they're as boring as they're virtually non-existent. Even the typical, at least from my study days, textbook example of this kind of market is really a bit of a BS. The example is one of a potato grower, or potato grower as the case may be, selling his surplus in a farmer's market, or her surplus. As a kid, I was to plenty of bazaars in the south of Ukraine and have seen, and participated in, actual haggling, uh, negotiation, that was taking place between the sellers and the buyers. Trust me, there were plenty deviations in prices from plenty of strategic interactions. And by the way, I use the word haggling lovingly, if not admiringly. Anyway. That's why I like me some strategic interactions. And I'm a great believer that game theory is the useful list of the most useful economic tools. The game part, of course, came from von Neumann having liked poker and his finding poker to be the best analogy for life. Namely, like life, outcomes in poker were subject of both skill and luck. It's the same reason von Neumann disliked chess. He found the lack of randomness boring and uninteresting. Which is another way of saying boring. Thus, we learn game theory to help us with strategic business decisions under uncertainty. As we just discussed, pretty much all the interesting business decisions are in fact both strategics and do in fact involve a great deal of uncertainty. This last bit we hadn't discussed, but isn't that kind of obvious, right? So really, it's just game theory for better business decisions. That's the promise. So, business games. What to expect from the structure of the seasons? How I analyze and learn and why this is relevant. Now, for me, economics is both a powerful and an adaptable core for decision-making. Not because it doesn't have flaws, it does, and plenty, but because its toolkit is outstanding. And none more so than game theory combined with psychology and experiments, giving us behavioral economics. For example, I've been able to earn a good living in the so-called quote-unquote analytics sector, not because I was the best coder or knew stats the best. I mean, I was good, but hardly the best coding and statistics being the two typical modern routes to becoming a quote-unquote data scientist. Not because of that, but exactly because I approached everything with an applied game theorist's and microeconometrician's mindset. Namely, I thought of the human behavior first, and the very imperfect way that this behavior got captured in data second, and only then a distant third about how to extract the meaning from the data to derive insights about the said behavior. 
theory generates hypotheses, data tests those hypotheses and informs the theory, and everything is an interaction, where one must think about the sequencing of moves and the information that every player possesses and their internal and external motivations. And the cycle repeats. These concepts, knowledge, sequencing of moves, internal and external motivations, hypotheses, data, information, together form the core of what we do as applied game theorists and microeconometricians. Which brings me to the way I learn. In short, it's a cycle of these four elements. Now, it's not a linear first step because one can and should move in every which direction. But it does start sort of linearly with it first just observing the messiness. The four steps are, first, look at the messy world in its micro glory, in all its micro glory. Two, jump out and look at the big picture. Three, peruse the existing knowledge about what I see in the world and get familiar with the concepts of the giants who came before me. Four, reconcile what I read with what I see. Reconciliation happens in two ways. One, observationally. Do the concepts reconcile with what I see? Does this pass the eye test? And second, statistically. Does the data that I see reconcile with the concepts? Can I find the same categories in the world? And if I can't, what can I do? After the first iteration, the cycle repeats, but not necessarily in the linear fashion. Now, I find it best to start with the observations rather than the concepts, because I know that concepts will frame my thinking, and I don't necessarily want my thinking framed as a starting point. Of course, observations will also frame my thinking, but what you gonna do? I must start somewhere, and so the hope that this framing is less bad. There is some evidence for this. For example, from the book The Undoing Project, there is a bit in chapter 2 on confirmation bias. There is much more in there, but I want to quote just one sentence. Quote, Human mind is bad at seeing things it doesn't expect to see. End quote. So if I read the theory first, then I expect to see that theory in reality and perhaps would miss the actual stuff happening, if the theory tells me that it shouldn't happen. Some people claim that that's exactly one of the things that classical economists are so bad about. They have a mathematical theory and just miss the reality completely. Okay, so the converse if I just expose myself to the real world, so to speak, and then look at the theory, the hope is that I might be better positioned to understanding both the theory and the real world. We'll definitely revisit the confirmation bias and the undoing project in future seasons. Now to motivate the final two steps, I love the idea of standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before me. Thus, it's useful to learn what and how they thought. And also, it is necessary to test the past knowledge against new observations. So, why is this relevant for the structure of business game series? We ultimately want to help decision makers deal with uncertainty in these settings of interactive decision making. To help us on the journey, we structured the topics in the order above. And when I say we, I mean to bring all the listeners and readers into the journey. And for the purposes of being responsible for any negative issues, it's of course I, right? So we when it's good, I when it's bad. Anyway, therefore, we structured the topics in business games in roughly this order, both in the overarching arc as well as in the mini arcs of each particular subtopic or season. 1. 
jump into the details. Two, jump out and see the big picture. Three, peruse existing knowledge. Four, reconcile existing knowledge and observations. That's it, it's a four-step process. And we learn by reading and talking with guest experts or between ourselves, and sometimes to ourselves. I find vocalization useful. To mimic the learning steps, you can expect the following types of episodes. One, guest interviews on a topic. Two, my personal thoughts and observations. Three, literature reviews. Four, summaries. We shall also have homework and we'll try to have it in every episode. It won't be graded, but it shall always be useful. And it will come into flavors. Things to read, to watch, to listen to, and practices to try. Practice is important. Strategic thinking is a skill, and we want to develop decision-making muscle memory. Another note on the muscle memory. Strategic thinking requires your conscious, effortful thinking. So your system two thinking. So when I say build muscle memory, I don't mean to say we'll develop your system one, but I do say that we'll build some thinking patterns to be more automatic. And at the very least, we'll undo some bad automatic jumping to conclusions. That's the goal anyway. Think of it this way. Our automatic rule of thumb should be not to default to a pre-existing solution, but to switch on the effortful thinking apparatus. Finally, a note on the topics covered. In the widest possible meaning, the topics are anything related to decision-making, but we typically do restrict it to business. Business business and also sports and entertainment business. Since these are organizations, we also immediately expand into not-for-profit sector. In terms of size, we cover small firms, medium firms, large firms um, and startups. These are the sectors I have personal experience with. I don't cover the government. I can back myself by saying it's business games, not policy games. And it would be true. But the real non-BS reality is that I just don't know this world enough. So I'm reserving talking to government decision makers about government decision making in the future, perhaps expanding every season with additional episodes down the line, or creating a separate government decision making season. After all, we want to learn from all the relevant contexts, and the government context covers all the same fields of decision making that we cover in this series. For example, signals, forecasting, knowledge aggregation, biases, interactive decisions, and yes, experiments. But for now, at least in the very beginning, I stay away from the government context. My promise to you, plus what I need from you. So, we did an anonymous survey of our clients a couple of years ago. Amongst questions we asked were a few questions about the greatest value that the clients see in hiring us. Us meaning my firm, even of consulting, limited. Some free tax associations too. Greatest pluses and minuses, that sort of stuff. The respondents were mid to C-suite management and board members of mid to large firms in both corporate and not-for-profit sectors. The clients and individuals had years of observations. Many had given us up to a dozen follow-up slash return engagements, so they knew us very well. I'm going to focus on things that were spoken about me personally because I am the voice you're hearing on the podcast. So I'm assuming you might like to know why you're listening to me. The key things that came out were things along these lines. These are quotes. Big picture thinking and bottom-up approach. Good at explaining things and providing detail able to understand lots of moving parts. Great at helping professionals by sharing targeted industry knowledge and information with them. Good at integrating ideas and information. Combination of technical and broad thinking. Able to integrate sales and marketing imperatives with those of risk and compliance. Okay, I know these were real because A, 
they were anonymously gathered by a third party, and B, these people clearly kept giving us significant work, giving me the market approval or the social proof. People voted with their wallets, or at least with the wallets of their organizations. And this leads directly to my promise to you about what you'll be getting here. One, I will take this core ability of mine, the one that allowed me to run a firm for over a decade, consulting with some of the largest firms in the EU and Australasia, and turn it to your benefit. I will challenge you to improve. That's number two. I will challenge you to improve. Number three, I will personally curate and reference a tailored set of decision-making topics and guide you through these. There will be no fluff, no cheap motivational content, and no BS. Unless BS stands for behavioral science, in which case there will be plenty of it. Four, I will bring you the best minds to speak on these topics. They are people I respect, some very famous and some less so, but all are proficient in their own fields. And I will ask them interesting questions for your benefit. There will be none of the usual well tell me about your childhood unless it's directly relevant to mastering uncertainty. Typically we'll be just jumping straight into a topic. 5. I will give you executive summaries, homework and personal thoughts on how these topics help you become better at navigating uncertainty. That is the premium content. 6. I will take the content and our learning very seriously, but never myself. I will occasionally swear and bring what I'm told is a humanistic and humanizing approach to a typically boring and dry subject matter, such as, well, economics. Seven, you will learn to make better decisions. I will not lie, not every decision will have a great outcome. The world is much too random for that. But your decisions will have better overall outcomes because you will make overall better decisions. Now, a note about expertise. Do I consider myself an expert? No. And nor should you. The word expert is possibly overused and therefore unhelpful. I should, in fact, be a bit more judicial with it than I currently am. However, we don't have to be experts in order to improve. All that the growth mindset requires us to do is to be better today than we were yesterday and to be better tomorrow than we were today. It might just be the most important self-improvement concept to hit the popular management literature over the last 15 years or so. So I'm very open about my own limits to my own knowledge. This is my journey as well as it is yours. Let's do it together. And I don't need to know everything about everything in order to help you. My skill isn't knowing. My skill is the ability to research a topic and understand enough of it to be able to apply its learnings to decision making and furthermore explain its core concepts to others and challenge others to dig deeper. It's akin to the Socratic method of learning. If I remember my classes six correctly, Socrates never claimed to know anything. He was just an annoying bugger pushing others to discover the truth. Ultimately, everything that I promise comes down to my being that kind of an annoying bugger. Now that's my promise to you. What I'll ask in return is three things. Two profound and one trivial. Profound thing one, your time. This is our most valuable non-renewable resource. The episodes are not short. Profound thing number two, your attention and effort and feedback. You'll need to engage your system too, the effortful thinking system. Active engagement with the content, I would claim, is the best way to learn. As for feedback, we want to make this newsletter plus podcast series better. And the only way to properly do it is for me to learn from you. Ultimately, how much each of us gets out of it will be a multiplicative function of how much we jointly put into it. The trivial thing, money. 
This is most certainly not a get rich quick scheme. So I need every one of those paid subscriptions to come through. Now, I'm a great believer in preparing the product and putting it out there before asking for money. So I provide a lot of content for free. And I also have already prepared the full season one of nine weeks of content It's probably more at this stage, both free and premium. I think the product is good. And with your continuing support, it's bound to get even better. And also the free content will be mostly raw interview episodes. The premium content will be human edited transcripts. I was going to say PDF, but they will in fact be behind the paywall in the um, newsletter form. And paywalled content such as executive summaries, plus my own thoughts on the topic and the discussions. And also, being a premium subscriber, you get a chance to influence the development of business games and get your questions answered in mailbag sessions and get other as yet undefined goodies. By the way, I'm quite open-minded about whether you want free or paid versions. As far as I'm concerned, most people would want and need free and some would want and need the paid one. Both will deliver tremendous value to some people in my opinion. The main benefit of paid subscription is not the original thinking, though there will be some of that too. The greatest benefit in my mind is that I would have done a lot of work of evaluating and summarizing and explaining the information that's out there, saving your time and effort of doing this legwork on your own. There is a lot of free information out there. There's also much paid information out there for a small price of a book or an online course. I have personally spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars accessing and sifting through and digesting this sort of material. And that's the time and money you'd be saving by subscribing to the premium version. Remember that idea of standing up on the shoulders of giants? Well, I'm no giant, but I offer my shoulders nonetheless. The upcoming seasons. Okay, with that out of the way, here's a sneak peek at the upcoming several months worth of content. Actually, it's probably a bit more than several months. One, first season will be the experimental one. It will be all about business experiments. Why and how and how best. We shall speak to very interesting people from various experiences who will talk about experimenting in settings as diverse as large corporates and SMEs, boardroom and startups, academia and solopreneurship. Next week, I'll drop a separate introduction to season one with the names and the sequence of the episodes and what to expect. I'll say this. There will be several famous people, one with about 100,000 followers on Twitter. Wink, wink. Two. If the first season is experimental, the second one will be simply mental. It will be all about biases and emotions and egos and wider psychological understanding. Okay? We cannot make good decisions under uncertainty unless and until we are able to understand and deal with our biases and emotions and our embodied mind. Here, we shall get a co-host who is a clinical psychologist with a PhD in cognitive psychology. She's also an executive coach. So she knows what she's talking about when it comes to leadership and executive decision-making and the interaction of academic knowledge and the business world. There will be a gap between seasons of an undefined length, but hopefully not too long. We are at the beginning of putting the mental one together. So the experimental one is finished. The mental one is being put together. Three, separately and in parallel to the above, I'll keep expanding season zero with something slightly completely different. This will be a live developing case study of the business games itself. Here, the ideas that I reflect on the development of this venture. It could be of interest to anyone who's interested in entrepreneurship and content businesses and 
related bits like SME marketing and brand development and delegation pricing and whatever else. And this will also contain the application of the content we discuss in the sacred timeline to our own business decision making under uncertainty. The business gapes enterprise being a startup and suffering from high uncertainty, obviously. So effectively, it will be an application of what we've learned to our own business case study. Um, beyond that, we'll develop a pipeline of the following seasons or something like it. The data-driven one, the betting one, the gamey theoretical one, the scenario planning one, the complex one. I'm not going to go into detail just yet. The homework. If you've read or listened till the end of this very first episode post, I thank you. I also assume that you're interested in this content going forward. So, in the spirit of getting back to applied research and teaching, here's what I'd suggest for you to do to get the most out of this whole experience. Number one, choose your subscription mode. Free or premium, and there are a couple of tiers. I just covered the difference. Premium has more content, but even free will keep you informed of the new episodes dropping and will contain free content available only to subscribers. That is the free subscribers. It's a freemium thing. And of course, you should separately subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Premium subscribers will get a private podcast link slash RSS feed that they can activate on some platforms. Check with your platform rules. All of this is available and explained on www.business-games.ai. So choose your subscription mode. At least subscribe for the free newsletter to be informed. Two, choose a place to take notes. This can be old or new school, paper or digital, written or voice. You'll hear from our first season's guests about the value of writing things down. It is my belief that this indeed maximizes your getting value out of this enterprise. So I encourage you to get some form of note capture plus use this for reflection. Three, I also suggest you write down two, three issues problems, questions, ideas that you're considering these days with the following guidelines. Guideline one, these should contain some uncertainty, guiding questions to help you think of uncertainty. What's your attitude to uncertainty? How is it reflecting your decision-making? Sorry, how is it affecting your decision-making? Write the major sources of uncertainty for you in your business or life in general. Second guideline, these should contain some interaction element, guiding questions to help you think of interactive decision making. What's your attitude to interaction? How do you see the primacy of incentives? Do you see the privacy, primacy of incentives? Basically, do you think incentives are the most important thing? Or feelings, rational thought, structures and systems? Consider this. If this is a problem with a finite goal, for example, sell our business portfolio X, yeah, or a repetitive slash recurring goal, for example, motivating employees, which type is it? Is it finite or repetitive? And uh, the third guiding principle, keep these questions in mind as we go through the topics. In fact, write them down and keep coming back to them and think about whatever we cover in the topics, how does it relate to these questions. And uh, finally, homework number four, last but not least, enjoy the Newsletter Plus podcast we've put together for you. The disclaimer. Now before we leave, some notes. First on the timing. I am planning weekly episodes on average beginning of the week we'll see a free episode and second half of the week we'll see a premium episode. They will work together. Obviously premium episodes would only be visible to premium customers. 
free episodes would be visible to everybody. There will be a somewhat undefined gap between seasons. This will be guided by the practical constraints of putting together a season. During the break, there will be some content dropping. Uh, it could be content for season zero, which as I mentioned, will concentrate on building up a live case study of this very enterprise. It could be something else. It could be some blog posts. So we'll try to keep the content popping up but it might be slightly different to our seasons. There will be free content dropping occasionally. In terms of the newsletter, I shall try to balance, maybe with your guidance, the frequency and the import. Meaning I want to let people know when what is happening, but I also don't want to overflow your inbox. Because let's face it, aren't we all overloaded already with newsletters? Next, I might do what Bob Hoffman of The Uncontrarian is doing in his newsletter, namely one newsletter with a bunch of smaller entries inside. I haven't decided yet. We'll see what works in our experimental season. More importantly, I shall use the first season, the experimental one, to do just that, to experiment. The first iteration will be good. Next one, even better. The experimentation shall be ongoing beyond the first season. And another set of notes on the promise. I already said not every decision will have a great outcome. Outcomes always depend on skill and luck. Nobody can teach you how to control luck. I wish they could, but they can't. There will be errors. Nobody is completely error-free. I will take every sensible attempt to fix those. But there will be things like typos and such. It is my responsibility and mine only to ensure these are minimized. And I will own up to them as soon as I realize. Now what you do with this information presented in the series is up to you and only you. I do not hold any responsibility for the outcome. Nada, niente, nichts, zilch. Again, I cannot control the inherent randomness of the world, and I don't even know your business circumstances. Also, you're not paying me hundreds of thousands to provide you with a tailored strategy consulting. We can have that conversation separately. In summary, I will give you the best thing I can give you, this very educational newsletter plus podcast series. And I'm extremely confident that on average, this will make you better at strategic decisions and dealing with uncertainty, leading to, on average, better outcomes. What I can never do is de-risk your decisions completely. Nobody can do that. This is most certainly not some hacky shit like five steps to success guaranteed. There's plenty of that crap, never works. There are no guarantees in life. Finally, a note on the extent of my expertise. I am not an expert, as I said, in anything. I am a deep generalist, meaning I have a fairly broad understanding of many topics, and I usually get fast up to speed on more or less any business-related topic. Example, from 2018 through 2020, I ran two large regulatory change programs for a major client. New privacy legislation, think of it as GDPR, and climate-related financial risk disclosures. Uh, think of it as TCFD. They couldn't be more different. At the outset, I knew nothing about either. At the end, I wasn't an expert, but I did possess about 80 to 90% of an expert knowledge. And by the way, I tended to win similar projects when going against big four firms. For clients who could most certainly afford the big four firms. So that's your social proof. I think this deep generalism is a feature, not a bug. It allows me to do what I do, acquire knowledge fast, connect the dots across silos, apply said knowledge to a business problem and translate between domains. Take risk and marketing for another example. There are better risk professionals and there are better marketing professionals than I. 
Is there somebody who had spent over a decade in both risk and marketing? Every year undertaking projects for each? I think that's rare. People just tend not to do that. I mean, what kind of a lunatic would, would spend that amount of effort across both? This kind of lunatic. And I believe there's value in this, but also means that there are things in each discipline that I do not know or do not know as well as the real experts. Now do what you will with this information. So that's a disclaimer. I leave you for now with this unsolicited advice. Beware any consultant who guarantees success. And that's about it for this intro. Hope to see you here next week. Cheers, AI.